I don't know about you, but when there's uh, construction on the highway or construction on this particular street, and you can see that all the lanes are ending, uh, the courteous thing to do is to get in the proper lane. And then while you're waiting in the proper lane to proceed, I don't know about you, but your blood boils when people just shoot past you for three or four hundred meters, and then they kind of sneak in at the end. You know, doesn't that just doesn't that just you know cause for you to see how unsanctified you you know still very much in need of God's grace? I mean, it just makes my blood every time it happens. I just you know, oh, and you know, I just want to buy a, a Hummer and drive in both lanes. And just give love taps to everybody. You come by, bang, get back there. You know, don't you see the rules of the road? I, I'm sorry your life is more important than all the rest of us peons that are here in this. You know, what is happening? I just, I lose my mind. But then ironically, when I'm driving and I'm not really paying attention and I'm the guy that all of a sudden realizes, oh no, this lane is ending. And, and, and I, now I'm the guy. Now I'm in the wrong lane, and I kind of get to the end, and I put my blinker on, and then all of a sudden I kind of shrink down, and, my, and I kind of wave at the people. I'm so sorry. Oh, please. I, gosh, well, can you please let me in, sir? Have you ever had that? I mean, it's just a great picture of mercy and grace for me, justice for you. My intentions are always noble and good. I mean, I didn't do this on purpose, so please judge me by my intention. You, though... I'm judging you by your result. I'm judging you by your action. I'm judging you by your impact. And this is kind of how our hearts kind of operate, and that's kind of the law of the jungle when you're on the highway. That's kind of how that is. This morning we are going to come to the passage of Scripture that says, in the Lord's Prayer, as we've been going line by line and enjoying the grace of the Lord's Prayer, this morning we're going to look at the line that reads, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. And for that, we're going to go to this text in Matthew chapter 18, a passage where Jesus is teaching on forgiveness, a passage where Jesus gives this parable uh, and this picture of forgiveness and unforgiveness. And then he says some really profound things, and we're going to look at that this morning so that we can see his grace for us and how we can have grace for others. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21, and I'm going to read to verse 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord... How often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with the servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay... His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. And so the servant fell on his knees imploring him, Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and he forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused. And he went and he put him into prison until he should pay the debt. 
And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and they reported to their master all that had taken place. When his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is God's word. Now we read this and we, our throats close up. Because this is God's law speaking. And whenever God's law speaks, it convicts us because none of us are able to perfectly keep God's law, which is why we needed Christ. So this parable of the unforgiving servant, it causes our throats to close up, but there is good news here. There is great gospel and grace here, and we're going to see that this morning as we unpack this text. This parable illustrates a few things. It gives us a picture, first of all, of God's unending and forgiving grace. And secondly, it gives us a picture of the absurdity of living in forgiveness, in unforgiveness, after receiving God's forgiveness and grace. And so Jesus' teaching in this parable, it showcases two things, what the gospel is and what the gospel does. And so there's a flow to this teaching. This is what we're going to see as we unpack it. The flow is this, guilt, grace, gratitude. That's how the story unpacks. There's guilt, there's grace, and there's expected gratitude. That's how Jesus' teaching goes, and that's kind of a picture of our Christian life. Seeing our guilt, seeing God's grace, and then living in gratitude from that grace. So consider again, in light of this text that we just read, why the Lord's Prayer calls us to say, very specifically and intentionally, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Here's today's sermon in a sentence. The Father's forgiveness for us in His grace propels our forgiveness for others by His grace. So first, let's look at how the Father has forgiven us in His grace. The gospel is the great equalizer because in Christ, we're all clean, and without Christ, we're all dead. The gospel is a great equalizer. It brings us to this great place of humility. Because each week as we confess our sin, and I talk about this, What God's actually requiring is not your progress, but perfection. Jesus Christ lived the perfect life you could never live. He died that substitutionary death in our place so that our death is not final. And his divine resurrection gives us hope that one day there is a resurrection for us that in the end is not suffering and death for us, but that's actually life and light. This is the gospel. Some of you who are here who may be new to church or in a journey are wondering and say, well, what's this word gospel these Christians use? The word gospel isn't everything the Bible says from Genesis to Revelation. That's not the gospel. The gospel is what I just said, the grace of Christ. Everything else in the entire Bible, if you're new to the Bible, is pointing to that gospel. It's pointing to that grace. And so the Father has forgiven us, and so having this attitude of forgiveness is more than just this external rule Christians are supposed to abide by. It's actually the organic, natural response and fruit of the Spirit that proceeds out of the hearts of those whose whose hearts have been melted by receiving forgiving grace. And so God's law instructs us to love and forgive, but it's God's gospel 
that enables us to to uh, love and to forgive. And so this is why God's grace is so amazing. Because we can forgive people, but not necessarily restore them. If your life is like mine, you've got relationships that have been devastated through brokenness, through hurt, through pain, through tragedy. Right? If, if, if your life and your family is like mine, see, my family is dysfunctional. Pretty sure I'm not the only one in here who has a dysfunctional family. Spoiler alert, all your families are dysfunctional. Okay? In different ways. Is the, the, the tricky thing about being a human being, in particular a human being in the church, is that we prefer that everybody else's dysfunction looks like ours, because we're much more comfortable with that. And we also prefer that everybody else's sin looks like ours, because we're much more comfortable with that. And so this text really affronts us, because it kind of calls us to this otherworldly grace and forgiveness that really we don't have inside us to be able to do. Because our, our, our grace is exhaustible, but God's grace is inexhaustible. So what makes God's grace for us so amazing is not only does he forgive you, he restores you. So the message of the gospel is not you're forgiven of your sin, you can go, the end. It's much, much better than that. It's you're forgiven of your sin, you may come. See, you and I can forgive people all the time, and we do, where we say you're forgiven, you're free to go. But because of the devastation of that relationship, we're not about to say to them, you're forgiven and you're free to come. Right? And, 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 and rightly so, because there's a hundred reasons we can think of that uh, make it very difficult and sometimes impossible to reconcile a relationship. If there's been devastation and abuse in, in, or suffering in all forms, um, you can't necessarily reconcile, but you can, you can forgive. But God, when he looks at your sin and mine, he doesn't just say, Paul, you're free to go. He actually says, you're free to come. You offend me every week. You're the, you're, the, you're the nail in my son's hand, but I love you anyways. This is the good news of God's grace. And it's us revisiting that and remembering that and reflecting that. It melts our hearts so that we can extend grace and can extend that forgiveness. This is what justification is. When Across the hallway, when we teach your children about justification, we teach them this way. We say, it's the word justified. It's justified, never sinned. And it's justified, always obeyed. That's justification. It's amazing. You're, gonna, you're not receiving what you deserve because it's justifi- justified, never sinned. But I'm also going to receive Christ's reward because it's justified, always obeyed. That's, that's the scandalous, beautiful grace of the cross that actually propels our desire to live to God's glory and obedience to him, which is undergirding this text here. So notice in verse um, 26 that this unforgiving servant he begs for mercy. Oh, please, give me more time. Now, Jesus is actually using humor here. This is like ancient um, world humor, this text. It doesn't seem funny to us. That it's actually scary because we read, if you don't forgive, your father's not going to forgive you. We go, what? But Jesus is actually using humor here. I'll tell you why. Because um, that amount, the 10,000 talents, everybody there basically made about a denarii a day, one denarii a day. So, Lots of calculations have been made, and lots of you have heard lots of sermons where they do a, a calculation, and how much would that be today? And, you know, the last study that I did, it was north of a few billion dollars. So, I, so you've, we've all kind of heard that, but I want to draw your attention to something different here. I want, you, I want to draw your attention to the delusion of, this, of uh, this, this guy, because what he says is, give me more time. But if you do the math, you don't need time. You need grace. So the calculations that I did in preparing for the sermon, it looks like 
if, if he owed one talent and not 10,000, one talent would have taken him about 16 years to pay back. So after 16 years, he's paid back one, and then the master could say, good, you got 9,999 to go. So if you do the math, this guy, he's saying, just give me more time. Uh, just give me 100 and, you know, 100 and, uh, what is it, 160, 160,000 years. That's all I need. So Jesus is actually using some humor here to, to just draw the attention to the insurmountable debt, the impossible. But, but what we need to see is the heart of the servant is, I can do this. I can save myself. I'm not that bad. See, this is what plagues the heart of every Christian. Even after we've received the grace of Christ and are fully justified and fully sanctified in Christ, what plagues our hearts is this idea that is like, well, I'm not that bad. I didn't kill anybody. I didn't sleep with anybody else's wife. The people in the chair across from me are definitely worse sinners than I am. I have a little bit of sin, but their sin is really sinny sin. So that's why I'm better than they are. This is the problem that we always kind of, our hearts want to drag us back into this. And so what, what, what the humor in all of this that Jesus is saying is, the debt is worse than you think. You, you're, you're, you, this is impossible. You're worse than, the, the message of the gospel is, I'm worse than I thought I was, and I'm more loved than I ever dared imagine. Both of those things are true. And so it's that very humbling place that allows for us to extend this forgiveness that Jesus is actually calling for. So we don't need more time. We need more grace. And so uh, Jesus presents this unconditional grace and forgiveness of God as the power that's propelling our forgiveness uh, for others. So the thing is, if we lose sight of our, we can't see that our need for forgiveness is still daily and that you're being spared of God's judgment daily, still, because of grace. If we lose sight of that, then we're going to use unforgiveness as our way of exacting our judgment. I forget that I'm not, I forget about God, that God's covered my judgment. I'm going to exact my own judgment. And here's how I get to exact it through unforgiveness. And through that, that's what we do. That's what our hearts want to do. We want justice. And the way to get justice is sometimes the only way we feel like we can get justice is to just harbor that un, unforgiveness towards someone who's sinned against us. And um, so we pray this prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That, those words, they're inviting us into humility. They're inviting us to fall on grace again. They're inviting us to fall on God's grace for our sin so that by his grace we can extend uh, forgiveness for others. And I have good news for you. You're forgiven on the basis of Christ's perfection, not your progress. We confess our sin week in and week out at Redeemer because it's, it's, a, it's, a coming in, it's not with condemnation. It's not, oh, I'm a worm and I need to confess my sin because I'm no good. No, 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 no. You're a child of God and he loves you. And even though your day-to-day -day reality is that you're still a sinner, from, he calls you and declares you righteous. So we confess our sin as children of God from this position of marveling at Christ's perfection. But if we downplay this business of what God's actually requiring from perfection to progress, do you know how easy it's going to be for us to hold unforgiveness towards people? Very easy. Because from our point of view, our progress is far superior to theirs. So we're quite justified in our unforgiveness because somehow our, you know, 
pr progress has made us better. And so it invites us, this prayer invites us into humility. I want to read something from Martin Luther, who uh, he, he wrote about this petition. R Luther wrote on, forgive us our trespasses, and we forgive those who trespass against us. And here's kind of what he gave in uh, his catechism number 93. He says this, If anyone insists on their own goodness and despises others, then let them look at themselves when this petition confronts them. They will find they're no better than others. And that in the presence of God, everyone must duck their heads and come into the joy of forgiveness through the low door of humility. What a great picture. See, the doorway to God's forgiveness is about that tall. And all of us, every Sunday, not because we're worms and we're, you know, no, no, no good, but there's the low door of humility whereby we bow our heads and acknowledge actually what God is, requires is perfection. And I have not pulled that off. Nobody in this room has pulled that off. We want to, the power of the Holy Spirit causes us to desire to live to God's glory, but none of us keep God's laws that's meant to be kept. And remembering that enables us not to be like this unforgiving servant that forgets our debt and then goes and chokes somebody for $10. And so that's how, the, uh, th that's the invitation of this petition. And so the good news is that united to Christ, our status is irreversibly righteous, even though our substance remains sinful and we struggle with it. So that's why uh, it's so good. So the Lord's Prayer, again, it's this daily invitation. Right? So there's a daily invitation to say, forgive me my sins as, I, as we forgive those who sins against uh, me. And as I'm praying that, it's a daily invitation to remember my guilt, confess my guilt, remember God's grace, rest in his grace, and be propelled with a great gratitude for everything that I've received. So let's move on now from the Father's forgiveness for us in grace to our forgiveness of others by his grace. So in verse 28, the unforgiving servant He's got this hard heart, and he's choking a guy. And it's interesting Jesus uses that picture. He says he's choking him. Because Jesus wasn't just um, saying, you know, I'm just going to grab an image, and I'm going to just say he was choking him. Because according to Roman law, it was, it, I'll read it for you. You were allowed by Roman law to, quote-unquote, drag by the throat those who owed you money, those who were indebted to you. You could drag them. So this is what Jesus is saying. is According to Roman law... This guy is doing what the law says, and he's dragging the guy by the throat. If, if we live in the crushing burden of the law, we are going to have no problem dragging other people around in our lives by the throat, saying, hey, look, this is what you owe me, right? And this is precisely what he did. Because he forgot of his great debt, he grabs, grabs the guy by the throat, and uh, he forgets about grace, and all he can think is, pay me what you owe me. Don't forget, you know, pretend that you forgot. And so he's just going after this guy. But this petition of forgive me my trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, it, it's a challenge to our pride because it calls us to confess. And that's where the reorientation of the heart takes place before I kind of look at my neighbor, where I'm actually propelled by the grace that I'm resting in. Uh, if we find confession... Repulsive. If we find all this talk about confession and confessing of our sin or forgiveness, if we think it's all intolerable, why do we confess our sin every week at Redeemer? That's demeaning. I mean, doesn't God get it? Cross, Jesus, perfect, got it. Enough with the confessing of sin. I mean, if we find the whole thing demeaning, what that really reveals is we're not, our hearts aren't really resting 
and drawing confidence in the gospel. We've somehow forgotten the gospel, or we've downplayed the gospel, or we got bored with the gospel. And that's, those are the kinds of things that lead us into choking people who, you know, who, metaphorically speaking, uh, owe us, you know, because they've truly done something wrong. And don't think for a moment I'm saying that forgiveness, because some of you have had horrible and atrocious things done to you, and I don't want to belittle the sins that have been done to you in any way. Because forgiveness is not about saying that anything is all right. It's not, it's not winking at sin. It's not turning a blind eye and saying, we're just going to pretend like that never happened and we're going to glaze over it. We're not, it has nothing to do with any of that. It, it, it's not downplaying the sin that was done to you. It's living free from the prison that's waiting in the unforgiveness of being connected to constantly to the sin that was done to you. And so the essence of our salvation, of course, is by grace alone. And so a life of confession, it leads us into joy not condemnation. The confession of our sin, it's always constantly leading us back into joy, leading us back into that rest. Oh yeah, that's right. You know, falling on grace for our sin so we can extend grace to other sin. A lot of times what I've done in my own life is, is I've, I've heard sermons like this over my life about forgiveness, and you think about the people that have wronged you, and, you, and the first thing you think is, you don't know what they did. You don't know what they did. I, do, I don't know what they did. I know what I did. Do you know what you did? See, up the hall, we've got little toddlers up in the Redeemer kids' classroom. And if one of those little kids gets angry at the other one and they slap the child in the face, the consequences for that are really next to nothing. You're going to go up and the teacher's going to say to you, yeah, there was a little kerfuffle up here today and one of the little toddlers slapped the other toddler in the face and you're, you're going to say, oh, that boy, oh, honey, that wasn't very kind. And you're going to move on with your day. But if a 12-year-old slaps another 12-year-old in the face on the playground, the consequences might be higher. If you're over 18 years old and you slap somebody in the face uh, on the street, the consequences are going to be higher. That person could, could report you for assault. And then if you go in for, for, uh, to, for your hearing on assault, and while the, while the uh, judge is um, giving you your, your hearing on assault, if you hop over the bar and run up and slap the judge in the face... You've just you, you've done the same thing that you did in the, in the, as a toddler. The act is the same, but the consequence is increasing. And then if the bailiff comes over and that police officer tries to put cuffs on you because you jumped the bar and you slapped the judge in the face, and then you turn and you slap the police officer in the face, you, th this is just compounding now. You see, in the garden, man slapped God in the face. Everybody in this room, through our sin, regardless of what it is, don't downplay it. Well, Paul, you don't understand. It's this little toddler-like sin. You slapped God in the face. And the penalty for slapping God in the face is death, which is why all humans are headed in the same trajectory, and it's called returning to the dirt from which we came. But good news. In his great grace, the judge took the robe off, came down, and paid the price for the offense that we did against him. So when it comes to this matter of forgiveness, the question isn't, you don't know what they, they did. The question is, do I remember what I did? And then do I rest in the grace that was given for what I did? And it's from that place that I say, i got to release you for what you did. i got to forgive you for what you did. doesn't make any of it okay. But it's... A heart set free from grace is propelled in that direction to do, to do that beautiful and forgiving work. In the, uh, <clears throat> in the Heidelberg Catechism on the Lord's Day 51, gives us something beautiful as it 
kind of expounds on this text to forgive us our trespasses. This is what it says. I'll, I'll read from the Heidelberg and then from the Westminster Catechism. First, the Heidelberg. This says this. Because of the blood of Christ, O oh God, do not hold any of the sins that we do or the evil that constantly clings to us against us. Forgive us, just as we are fully determined as evidence of your grace in us to forgive our neighbors. The Westminster reads like this. We pray that for Christ's sake, we would freely pardon, that, that God would freely pardon us of all of our sins, which we're encouraged to ask, because by his grace, we are enabled from the heart to forgive others. See, forgiving others doesn't earn God's grace. It's evidence of God's grace. The whole point of this parable, when Jesus ends with those words that make our, our throats close up, and he says, if you don't forgive, your father won't forgive you. Don't misinterpret that to mean that the power of salvation is in your hands and not Christ's. We've done a huge error if we think what Jesus is saying is, the, you know, the cross wasn't a completed work. Jesus only made something possible. And now the power is in your hands to save yourself through your act of forgiveness. That's a travesty. Throw that out and start over. That's not what's going on here at all. What Jesus is saying is, that unforgiving servant, through his unforgiveness, evidenced he never received grace, doesn't understand grace. Those of us who have received grace and understand grace, the byproduct of that is to extend forgiving grace. Jesus is not taking, taking the power of salvation out of his capable hand, John chapter 10, right? all that the Father has given me are in my grasp and no man can take them out. So Jesus isn't confused. He doesn't say, you're in my grasp and nobody can take me out. Oh, but by the way, you can take yourself out through unforgiveness, so by the way, you're actually a savior. No, that's the worst possible interpretation I can conceive of. It's like Jesus is flip-flopping all through the Gospels. I saved you, well, actually, you save yourself. No, this is a picture of what a heart set free by grace will do. This is what God, by the power of his spirit, is doing in you, which is, which is why this is so powerful. And it's so beautiful that when Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished, that means paid in full. Not, I made a down payment. Trust me, study the languages, hate it every minute of it. Okay, so that's what it means, paid in full. And so if something's been paid in full, the power of the grace that paid everything in full is now doing something in me. Forgiveness does not earn salvation and grace it forgiveness evidences it this is the evidence uh, that god has done his saving work in all of us it's beautiful and it's powerful and think about it if after the service i forgive all of your financial debts you come up to me and i pull my checkbook out and i write a check and i pay off all you don't have a financial worry in the world i can't do that by the way because i planted i planted a church with the wrong organization i would have had to do it elsewhere to been able to do that but, but it could be done but i can't do it but if i did and then you ran down the street and you choked somebody who had owed you ten dollars how many of you know it's not about the money there's something else going on here it's it, it, it it's not about the money it's about you wanting to exact justice it's about unrest, it's about anger, it's about bitterness, it's about unforgiveness, it's about wanting to exact your, judge, your judgment on somebody. It's not the $10. And so the picture of this parable is the picture of the Christian life, where it's like, 
the forgiveness that flows, the reason why Jesus says, if you don't forgive, your father won't forgive you, is because he's not saying, you know, uh, you're not a good enough Christian. He's saying you're not. I mean, you just, the person that, the person that receives this grace and then turns around and doesn't forgive, never, did not receive this grace. You, you did not understand what just happened. You have no understanding of what you've been given at all. So your problem isn't that you're not forgiving enough as a believer. The problem is you're not a believer. That's what Jesus is saying, which is really good news. Because you know what that does? That means everybody in this room is invited into this grace. And nobody in this room, based on your ability to forgive or the difficulty to forgive, is not, is not excluded from God's grace. It means you can fall and rest on his grace. And from that say, oh God, would you by your power enable me to release this person? I say, you know what, you don't owe me anything. What you did was wrong. It was inexcusable. It might have been horrifying and tragic, but you know what? I know something. I'm free. I am free. You might not be free, but I'm free. I don't need your $10. I'm free. This is the picture of the heart that's at rest in grace, what it does. And oh, would God, by the power of the Spirit, do that in you and I. I'd love to stand here and say, you know, go out in the hallway and buy my book because I wrote one because I'm so great at this. Uh, that's not how the sermon ends, okay? Because I'm in, I'm in it with you. When I say, oh God, would you continually do this work in my heart to, uh, so that I can rest in that grace and then forgive that grace. And so that's why in verse 22, how this whole thing starts, Peter comes and goes, hey, how many times should I forgive? Seven? And Jesus goes, no, 70 times seven. And we're like, what? Uh, well, how does it, that's why it all begins with this unfathomable grace. This church is about a year and a half old and we're coming up on, you know, Two years and another few months or something like that, or whatever, however that is, another six months, a year and a half old. How many, how many offenses have happened in here already? Probably a handful. If you're here like, oh, nobody in here has offended me, give it time. <laughs> it's, all, it's okay, don't worry. Your turn will come. Okay, this is not a church of the good. Okay, this is the church of the forgiven. All right, we're, we're not here because we're good. Uh, we're here because Christ is good, and we're worshiping him, him and thankful for his goodness for us. And we really want to be, uh, you know, gooder. <laughs> um, but we're going to offend each other. I mean, just, it's going to happen. You can't, the only way to be not offended is to just not have any uh, depth in your relationships. That's an easy way. If you, if you don't want to be offended at KW Redeemer, here's how. Uh, just don't really connect with anybody, and you'll be fine. Just come in, enjoy these sermons from 40 feet away, and go home, and you'll be okay. You probably won't be offended. But if you kind of get into each other's lives, and you begin to care deeply, and what, I mean, that offense is going to come. And so where does the grace come for us to just walk in perpetual and constant forgiveness? Uh, only, only by resting in what we've been given. And that's what the, the beauty of grace propels and, and what it does. And so that's why uh, Jesus ends with this metaphor of prison. Now, which I'll get to in a minute. Think of it this way. You see, Christ was righteous by nature. Never sinned. We are righteous by grace. We're declared righteous. We're constantly sinned. A week hasn't gone by where, where we haven't sinned. Right? I have conversations with people all the time. I say, Paul, you know, you talk about grace a lot, but you also talk about sin a lot. Why do you talk about sin? Why do you tell the church they're sinners? Why do you call yourself a sinner? Uh, because if you smoke a cigarette once a day for your entire life, you're a smoker. I don't care what you tell people. And by the way, if you, I don't have a moral hang-up about that. It's terrible for your health, so please don't smoke. But I'm not trying to make a moral commentary here. Okay, so listen. Uh, you're a smoker, okay? 
Uh, so if I sin once a day in some way for, for the rest of my life, I'm a sinner. I don't want to lower the bar on my righteousness and say, uh, on righteousness and say, you know, I, well, I'm, I'm righteous, I'm not a sinner anymore, but I just sin sometimes, and by sometimes I mean every day. Okay, well, that's got to be the worst conceivable definition of righteousness I've ever heard, and it smacks the cross in the face because it says that somehow I'm not, I'm, the beauty of grace is that I'm declared something I'm not, which is what enables me to forgive. Right? Because I know I, I very much need this. So Christ was righteous by nature. I'm declared righteous by grace. And so in verse 34, this whole thing ends with this metaphor of prison. Right? And, and, and we go, oh, this is kind of scary. Why does it end with this metaphor of prison? Because, I mean, if I live in unforgiveness and I'm not saved, and I've not placed my faith in Christ alone, uh, the, obvi- the obvious answer from this from the scriptures is I must place my, my faith in Christ alone or I spend eternity separated from God in hell. So that's the obvious thing. But you know, there's another thing here. And it's that when I'm in unforgiveness, it's like I'm in an emotional prison. It's not just that at the end of my life I'm in hell. My life right now is hell. I mean, it's like an emotional hell. Because what am I trying to do through my unforgiveness? I'm trying to exact judgment. It's like, I need you to get it. It's not about the, it's not about the $10. It's about this, and I just, gotta, I just need to see that you pay in some way. I'm, it's, not, it's emotional hell to be there. And so the beauty of the grace of God is that it comes and releases us from all of this. And I'm going to close with this. In the mid-1800s, there was a famous Baptist preacher, and his name was Charles Spurgeon. And he spoke of God's forgiveness in this way. Once God pardons a man, there is no end to that pardon. You have been pardoned. Past, present, future. Pardoned. Forgiveness is what our hearts do from the rest of our pardons.